This is a Rooster Teeth production. In the midst of World War II, one of Japan's only mine-laying ships sets a series of explosives off the coast of China. The mines remain untouched for nearly a decade until a steamship fleeing the Chinese Civil War sails directly into their path, killing almost everyone on board. I'm Charlotte. I'm Patrick. Ahoy and welcome aboard Ship Hits the Fan, a podcast about some of history's most notable uh-ohs and whoopsies on the high seas. <laughs> about to be a notable uh-oh. And <laughs> yeah, an extremely notable uh-oh. There's going to be a notable uh-oh when Patrick's head explodes because of all the technical issues we had before this episode. Yeah. <laughs> There's, if I could explain to you, listener, how just how many cables are on the floor around this setup, and we are also using only the finest Amazon um, Essentials batteries, which last approximately one record twenty five minutes. It's, yeah, we get <laughs> yeah. one record out we of get each one record eight, out of each it. set of eight batteries. Eight double A's gets because us one guess record. What? Not a single power adapter works with this thing. That's right. And there's a part of a broken XLR cable stuck in the mixer, but yes. we're not here to talk about that. Yep. Okay? Yeah. What are we here to talk about? I'm uh, ooh. You are hot. And that's fine because I'm reading the script today, so you just you buckle up. You come yep. along for the ride because guess what? We're going to be going back to World War II. We're going to be going back to the Philippines. We're going okay. back to the Pacific Theater. But first, let me just talk about myself a little bit. Okay. I've been known to put things down here and there. Keys, phones, glasses, chapstick. I leave a trail of mm-hmm. unkempt debris in my wake. Okay. Fortunately, for future travelers, uh, maybe following in my path. Stalkers. Apostles. Yeah. <laughs> uh, fortunately for future stalkers, I do not do this off the Chinese coast. Right. And fortunately for those same travelers, stalkers, my chapstick is not going to detonate on impact and rip a steamship in half. That you know of. Well, it shouldn't. What brand do you use? Blistex. Okay, you should be fine then. Okay, I'm I'm just gonna put it over over here for the rest of the record. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, let's get into it. Okay. Now we've covered many collisions and attacks where one ship causes the destruction and ultimately the sinking of another. I would say it's our bread and butter. Yeah. Uh but it's not often that the vessel responsible was decommissioned years prior. Okay. And more than decommissioned, just destroyed. Yeah. Our story today begins with the Japanese mine layer Aotaka. Okay. Aotaka was the second of two Hatsutaka ships built in 1938 to support the Imperial Japanese Navy in World War II. That's right, baby. It's historical context time. Okay. Woo! This one's all about boats, though. No royalty. No oh. land feuds. We're staying in the water. Okay. She was 284 feet long and 37 feet wide. So despite being approximately the length of a football field, the Aotaka was only as wide as two Priuses with oh. bike racks. Oh, okay. Take it up a mountain. You know? Yeah. Or maybe you're just environmentally conscious. They were long and skinny, like Patrick. Yeah. So, sort of the Hatsutaka it's host. Of guys. Of guys. He's, he's one of the Hatsutaka class of guys. Yeah. <laughs> She was equipped with a two-shaft geared turbine engine and powered by, I feel like this is a truck commercial, Mm -hmm. powered by three boilers. Her top speed was approximately 20 knots. Mm. Anyway, these rip-roaring speeds put her in range with most American battle cruisers at the time. However, the Aotaka was designed for a very different purpose, which was laying sea mines. Mm -hmm. 
The Hatsutaka class mine layers were classified as medium-sized and were intended to be an improvement on the Shirataka class. The main difference between the two classes was the type of static defense devices they were designed to distribute. Right. I mean, of course, a static defense device, you're, you're speaking my language there. You know exactly what That's that my is. thing. Yeah. That's kind of my expertise on this show. But if someone <laughs> were to not know, if someone weren't to have that level of expertise yeah, that I have on, uh, <laughs> on static defense devices, <laughs> how would you explain that to someone? You know, for someone who may not know. Yeah, about uh, yeah, static defense <laughs> devices. SDDs. Yeah. Well... Uh, so they're basically just things left in the water. It's, it's mines. It's mines, but okay. also it's nets. Okay. The Shirataka class were designed as net layers, uh, which meant that they had the capability to strategically distribute steel anti-submarine nets or anti-torpedo nets. And for anyone wondering, what's a net? Uh, <laughs> check out The Running Man starring Arnold mm-hmm. Schwarzenegger. Mm-hmm. There, there's a part where he's running across the tarmac in an airport. Yeah. And they have a big net gun that they take him down with. That's awesome. So if you're wondering what's a net, check out The Running Man. And he's running in every scene. That's why they called it that. Most scenes, yeah. Yeah? Yeah. All right, cool. Anyway, these nets are uh, actually very sick. And I personally think they're cooler than the mines. Mm -hmm. Uh, I do, however, want to disavow the Axis powers. (laughs) (laughs) It's brave. (laughs) Bold stance. I like their nets. Yeah. But not what they stood for. Okay, fair enough. Yeah. <laughs> so this meant placing these nets around strategic docks or positions or positioning yeah. them around ships and submarines while they were in the harbor or hankered. Oh hankered? Hankered. I'm hankering for some information on these static defense uh, whatevers. Stat, stat, static defense yes, device, anchored, devices. Yes, anchored. 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 They were anchored. In open water, okay. uh, some of these ships. And as World War II progressed, many of these net layer ships were repurposed. Oh my God. <laughs> repurposed. That's funny. Keep it. For other roles, sometimes as salvage, transport, maintenance vessels, finally as tugboats, the end of every Ooh. ship's life. Yeah. <laughs> However, as the war and in turn weapons progressed, nets quickly fell out of favor until people were cruising the net. Right. <laughs> Cyber cool. warfare. Yeah, sure. Digital soldiers. Uh-huh. Anyway, so the Nets fell out of favor, especially compared to the Imperial Japanese Navy's newly improved torpedo and sub technology, which mm-hmm. was designed to level the playing field with the Allies, who I agreed with in, in this particular in most uh, war. Yeah. yeah. The Net layers had been popular with the Imperial Japanese Navy because they saw it as a relatively passive option for an offensive strike. Hmm. Notorious for targeting anchored ships, net layers would go to work under cover of night, and by morning, the target ship or submarine was caught in a net. Okay. That's right. Sure. Classic uh, trapping techniques. Well, at minimum, it would slow the ship down. Yeah, sure. However, the ship could spot the net laying ship and launch torpedoes, only for those same torpedoes to get caught in the net and detonate way too close to the ship, which would often cause them to sink. Sure. Which is kind of awesome yeah it's scary i mean it's scary but it's cool yeah like i would watch that yeah james cameron if you want to like if you need any ideas for the third avatar maybe throw <laughs> maybe some, a net throw one, maybe a net that like yeah. is you know maybe they devise their own something downfall. to think about something to think about james jim the imperial japanese navy had a very specific code regarding their use of naval force They wanted to be on the offensive as much as possible rather than diverting important resources towards defensive measures. Mm -hmm. The best defense is a strong offense. Okay. Right? 
Yeah. Yeah. They may have been reluctant to admit it at the time, but the Imperial Japanese Navy was outnumbered and outgunned. Not yeah. outnetted, though. No, they had more <laughs> nets than anyone, it sounds like. They faced a combined army which dwarfed their naval capabilities, and Japan's attempts to modernize and rapidly expand their naval forces were not proving enough. Mm. And I was thinking, this is kind of like, you know, the small kid who becomes a bully before he's even been too bullied. Right, it's kind of a, yeah. A little okay. firecracker, mob boss type. Mob boss type? Yeah. <laughs> Right? Like a Joe Pesci That's, bully. I, oh, I see. <laughs> this overly offensive approach is why the country didn't invest in defensive naval mine technology until midway through the war. Midway, that's another battle in World yes, War II. Yes, it is. Uh, the Hatsutaka class was their first attempt at mine laying ships, and they only ever built two. Okay. Like I said, the Aotaka was the same size and shape as the Shirataka net layers, but with an added important distinction. Oh. She was designed to carry 100 Type 5 naval mines or nets. Sure. You know, leaving the back door open for net warfare. Mm -hmm. uh, if that was, if they were right, if they had initially invested in the right path. Yeah. You know, this baby can hold 100 mines. Yeah. Or nets. Whatever you want. Two years later, it's 1940. Picture that. Okay. Okay. The Aotaka was commissioned into service and tasked with patrolling the Japanese coastline. Despite being designed to drop mines and swiftly sail away to safety, the ship was heavily armed. She came equipped with four 40mm heavy machine guns and was equipped to drop depth charges in addition to mines. Okay. A mine. A mine. A mine. The Aotaka could carry 18 Type 95 depth charges, one depth charge projector, and four depth charge throwers. Sure. Which... I know that's a technology, but I like to think it's guys that just hurl them. Yeah, just hurl yeah. them off the side. It also had state-of-the-art sonar capabilities to aid in strategically placing the mines and charges. Oh. While patrolling the Japanese coastline, the Aotaka became the flagship of the first second base force. First second base force. Yeah, and I wrote so the here. First, second I wrote base here who's on first second because it's like uh, the baseball diamond. The the. Uh, classic comedy. The Japan, what? Classic comedy. What comedy? Oh, the um, Abbott Costello. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, I thought you were talking about. It. Never mind. It doesn't matter. Uh, what? Ja the Japanese. They've supplied some incredible ball players to the MLB over the years. That's true. Most recently, Shohei. No denying that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Not going to get any pushback from me on no, that no. one, pal. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, anyway, yeah, it meant they were the first force for the second base. I got that, yeah, I put that together. Around this time, the Aotaka took on an additional patrol route along the central Chinese coastline. Okay. It's believed that the bulk of the Aotaka's mines were laid during this period. Oh. Maybe it was like a quota, and I was like, J you know, just dump them. Yeah, just this is <laughs> just how many you have some. to get rid of. I uh, don't care where you do it. <laughs> specifically, uh, and this is maybe a very detailed location, which you'll know why. But it's believed that the Aotaka laid a single mine at approximately 31 degrees by 15 degrees north. By I don't know how to read the longitudinal and latitude. Yeah. 121 degrees by 47 east. Yeah. It's near the mouth of the Huangpu River. You know what River. we're talking about. <laughs> you guys know where that is. The mines that these ships laid are called Hertz Horn Construction Mines. Mm -hmm. They're large metal spheres with multiple horns sticking out of the top, typically the imagery that you would associate with undersea mines. Yeah. Hot Fuzz, Finding Nemo. The classic the mine, classic classic mine movies. Classic mine comedies. Yeah. These horns 
contains sulfuric acid, and when one is touched, the delicate container holding the acid breaks and exposes it to internal wires and connectors. This creates a battery-like reaction which triggers the detonation mechanism housed inside the mine. Maybe we could oh. get some mines in here and use that battery-like reaction to power our mixer rather sure. than the eight Amazon batteries that last 10 minutes. I never knew that that's how that worked. Yeah, it, it's pretty interesting. Yeah. I guess I never thought about it. I know you pushed the thing and it... It explodes, but I didn't know. I never knew what it was actually a inside bit of acid that mechanism. And creates a battery, yeah, yeah. And it sparks it. I just assumed that there was like a push pin that goes in and then just like I guess touches. Yeah, explosive. I don't know. Yeah, fire. There's fire inside. Well, because you're not an explosives expert like I am. Well, no, I specialize in disposal. Oh, okay. I have the <laughs> that big makes suit sense. from that the Hurt sense. Locker. Yeah. <laughs> You're wearing it right now. I'm wearing it right now. That's why I have a little uh, limited mobility. Mm -hmm. You seen that movie? No. It's pretty solid. Okay. Unfortunately, it put Jeremy Renner on the map. Uh, and again, enemy of. Uh, hopefully, we wish him an even speedier <laughs> recovery than we did last time. Sure. <laughs> anyway, these horns are small. Mm -hmm. So it's possible for boats or submarines to trigger them without even knowing. So yeah. much as brushing against the side of a mine could trigger the horns. And, yeah. You know, you mess with the bull, right? Yeah. You know, or gently nudge the bull, you're going to break the horns. I watched some pro bull riding this weekend. Really? Yeah. Live? Uh, I don't know. Pay per view? I have no idea. It was like on a. I wasn't. It was. It was not in my own home. No. Uh, I had, you don't I, get that I had access to Direct TV or or some satellite, <laughs> and we ended up watching quite a bit of pro bull riding. I mean, yeah, that's like when you happen across like a diving competition or pro like poker, and then you get really into it. Like, World Series of Dominoes is great too. Ooh, that sounds good. Once laid, these mines were largely stationary, being mm -hmm. static defense devices I think Patrick knows about. Yep. Yep. Because they didn't move, they were particularly difficult to track with sonar or radar. This meant most vessels wouldn't know a mine was nearby until they were already touching it. Okay. Oops. After laying a series of defensive mines off the coast of China, the Aotaka was assigned to various other duties. She would return to laying mines on occasion, but by and large, the Aotaka was used as an escort cruiser, oftentimes along larger cruisers in need of repair. So... Uh, this next part is not super relevant, but it's kind of maybe one of the greatest all-star runs of convoy escorting by a single uh, convoy escort ship. Okay. So it's the summer of 1944. It's towards the end of World War II, and the Aotaka takes on multiple convoys right after the other. All right. First, she makes her way to Halmahera Island on May 16th, where she struck a magnetic allied mine, of all things. Great. A mine. Yeah. Suffering only minor damage, though, she was quickly returned to port. Awesome. June 3rd, she sets out for Singapore with a convoy headed for Kitakyushu. Kita... Yeah, Sounds I did good it. to me. Kitakyushu. This convoy was attacked by the USS Raton only three days after their launch. Okay. Miraculously, the Aotaka survived the attack unscathed and escorted the remaining convoy ships to Meizuru Naval Arsenal by late July. September, she escorts yet another convoy back to the Philippines, oh. only to be attacked by 200 planes <laughs> from the U.S. Navy Task Force 38 as the Allies retook Manila Bay. That's okay. Miraculously, the Aotaka yet again avoids damage and escorts a convoy to a nearby bay under Japanese control, where the ships could gather and regroup. I know... Uh, this isn't the case, but I imagine the Autaka just by itself in the middle of the ocean with 200 planes all like firing and missing every single shot. Yeah, and she's ducking and weaving yeah, and crossing them up. 200 just, like, smashing into each yeah. other in the air. <laughs> like hitting a beehive. Yeah, yeah. Then on September 23rd, later that same month, 
the gathered ships were attacked again by planes sent from nearby USS aircraft carriers Intrepid, Cabot, Lexington. Over 115 planes participated in the track. Wow. And guess what? The Autaka once again unscathed by the ambush and made its way out into open waters. She's just gonna keep sailing, baby. The unstoppable Autaka. Yeah, once again, the, I, I seems like not, one of the best to ever do it. One of the best to ever do it. We do not. If agree doing with it is avoiding damage from yeah. planes. I mean, you know, the strongest offense is a good defense. Yeah. <laughs> Three days later, the Autaka is spotted by the USS Pargo, a submarine off the coast of northern Borneo. The Pargo targeted her and fired torpedoes, and guess what happened? She shrugs it off. She keeps trucking. Oh. That's actually not true. Oh. Uh, she was hit oh, <laughs> by no. torpedoes, and she did sink on September 26th, 1944. Oh, what a shame. Bringing the end to, I mean, she almost pitched a no-hitter. Yeah. An incredible I guess that would showing. be just surviving the war would be a no-hitter. Well, it's not a in this perfect, case. Well, it's not a perfect game. Okay. No hitter, more easily attainable. Like I think it would have been different if she killed every single plane. Right. Yeah. That yeah, would yeah, be yeah. a perfect okay. game. Sure. Yeah. And yeah. A no hitter is just like not getting hit. Yeah. Yeah. And even when she did get hit, she got back to port. It's like letting someone get on base, but you know they don't score. Right. A lot of baseball in this episode. Well, I mean, I guess spring training is coming up. Is it? <laughs> okay. <laughs> Uh, and I think it's already underway, okay. actually. Shouts out to Clearwater, Florida, where the Philadelphia Phillies cook. Florida, really? Yeah. yeah. Is that legal? No. And there's a lot of teams that play in Arizona, the Desert League. For practice. Dodgers out there. Yeah, practice. practice. It's Well, okay. yeah, it's practice. No, you're not going to play an actual game in Arizona. Sorry to the Diamondbacks. I don't care. <laughs> uh, anyway, there's not a great deal of information on the Aotaka's sinking. We do know that attempts were made to salvage the ship as it was not officially removed from the Imperial Navy's list of actively commissioned ships until November 10th, 1944, almost two months later. So I guess they had guys out there swabbing the decks uh, yeah. underwater. Given the attempts at salvage and repair, it's possible that the damage, while extensive, was not instantaneously catastrophic. Although there are likely casualties, we don't have an official list or number indicating how many survived. Mm. Maybe no one was home. Could be. Anyway, the Aotaka had sailed her last voyage, but this was not the last time we would hear of her. Oh. On September 2nd, 1945, a year after the Aotaka sank, the Imperial Japanese Navy surrendered in Tokyo Bay. Mm -hmm. The war was over, but it would be a long journey back to normalcy and the scars would remain indefinitely. As the world tried to heal and Japan worked to rebuild in the wake of the atomic bomb, some things were left and forgotten. Namely... Naval mines. Oh, no. Yeah. When naval mines are found, the goal is to retrieve and deactivate them safely if possible. Today, we can detonate them underwater, we being Patrick and I, yep. making certain all ships and submarines are at a safe distance. In the years immediately following the war, however, mines were not so easily trackable, and there weren't any plans in place to detonate any of them. Mm. Additionally, with the sinking of the Aotaka, some of the coordinates of placed mines were forever lost to the sea. Yeah. Sounds like a good I mean, system. You can't keep track of all of them. Yeah, you know, sometimes mines get away from sometimes you. Sometimes they're going to drift. Anyway, this is how the SS Kyongya stumbled across one. Uh oh. Yeah. The Kyongya was one of eight passenger steamships owned and operated by the Shanghai Merchants Group. Throughout World War II, she traversed the seas in and around the coast of China. Okay. She was built around the same time as the Aotaka to transport passengers, but beyond that, little is known of her construction. So if you have any inside info about the construction of the Kyongya, the Kyongya, yeah, hit us up. We actually do have some that we were able to oh, okay. infer. So okay. for those of you that are get get real uh, 
you know, real Nerds. into the specifications. Nerds. Yeah. yeah. Weird dorks. Like us. Yeah. We have some clues from correspondence about the ship and photos from prior to the incident and even video of the rescue efforts to identify some of her features. Mm-hmm. She had a displacement of 2,100 tons and a passenger capacity of 1,186 passengers, including cargo. Now, if you've listened to Ship Hits the Fan, you know that number's going to come back to bite us in the ass. (laughs) (laughs) Don't doubt it. Yep. Like most ocean steamships, she was propelled by a steam engine connected to a series of propellers. And because she was named with the prefix SS, we know that she was a screw propeller steamship as opposed to a paddle steamship. Obviously. Okay. Duh. Like contemporary steamships of the time, the SS Kyanya was largely used for transporting passengers and cargo, not weapons and soldiers. Widespread naval battles, however, had made it difficult to conduct basic commerce of the seas, especially with Imperial Japanese naval vessels like the Aotaka patrolling the Chinese coast. Ah. Her owners, the Shanghai Merchants Group, and you're like, hang on, I don't know if I know of a Shanghai Merchants Group. Well, they're known today as the China Merchants Group. Oh, yeah. yeah. Found themselves adrift during World War II. Nice Today's word episode choice. is yeah. also brought to you by the China Merchants Group. <laughs> Use our code uh, China Merchants Group to get something. As we mentioned in our SS Taiping episode, China had been in the midst of a civil war for decades, only taking a break to hop into World War II. Mm-hmm quick, uh, you know, switch tracks, and you get back to it. Yeah. Following the war, the Chinese Civil War, they, you know, they got back to it. Yep. uh, With the communists gaining the upper hand. As was the case with the SS Taiping, this change caused many to flee their homes in search of friendly islands or countries nearby. And much of this was done via steamship. Oh, I see. Yeah, I see where this is going. Yeah, you see where this is going. December 3rd, 1948. Roughly seven years after the Aotaka traveled those same waters, the SS Kyungya set out with a tremendous amount of people aboard. Mm-hmm. So, as we said, the official capacity was 1,186 passengers. Okay, and the how manif- far over did they go? Well, the manifest listed 2,150. Yep. It's already 1,000 over capacity. Almost double. Almost double. But I'm guessing there's a bunch of other people on there, too, that weren't accounted for? Oh, yeah. Yep. Okay. Oh, yeah. It's always it's be- the same. Every episode is the All same. All the time. Yeah. It's believed that this manifest did not account for another 2,000 or more oh, stowaways. Oh, my God. I didn't expect that many no, more. a lot. I will say, that <laughs> is a surprise. That is too much. Records of missing persons suggest that somewhere between 3,450 and 4,620 people had loaded onto the ship that night. Oh my God. Oh my God. Yeah. So the Kianga sets out from Shanghai Shiliupu dock under cover of night, hoping for fog and darkness to obscure her forbidden voyage. Mm -hmm. Mysterious. Knowing that the communist armed forces had followed other ships attempting the same trip, they set out at their top speed of approximately nine knots, just tearing out of port. Yeah. The goal was to travel to Ningpo, up the coast and away from the bulk of the communist forces in Shanghai. Now, there are a handful of theories as to what happened that night, but here's what we know for sure. Lay lay it on me. The communists did not place any mines in the area. Okay. If they did, they haven't admitted to it uh, in the many years since, which, hey... Maybe. Uh, uh, yeah, I mean, yeah. And we do know that the Allies had used mines, but likely not in that region based on their noted coordinates. Mm-hmm. Again, can also see them not owning up to stuff. I mean, but yeah. It, sure. You know, it's, it's neither here nor there. Right. Materially, what happened happened. Yeah. The Imperial Japanese Navy did use mines in the area, mm-hmm. certainly, and almost exclusively laid by the Aotaka during the war. So it's a safe 
assumption. If we're connecting dots. It's an educated guess. Occam's razor. Yeah. Late on December 3rd, very early, possibly on December 4th, uh, there weren't many witnesses to corroborate the exact time of what happened. Mm -hmm. The SS Qiangya suffered a devastating explosion off the coast of China near the mouth of the Huangpu River. Oof. Yeah. And it's possible in an attempt to escape in the darkened fog, they altered their course slightly, steering them directly into the mine. Yeah. Alternatively, the added weight of nearly four times the passenger capacity would have caused the SS Qiangya to sit lower in the water than intended, bringing the hole into contact with the mines. Yeah, I can see that happening. Yeah, I can see that happening too. Regardless, the explosion tore the hull of the ship in half. We don't have official documentation on the full extent of the damage, but we do know the opening was enough for the ship to sink almost instantaneously. Oh, good. Great. Because of the time of night, most passengers were in their cabins asleep. Yeah. Yeah. The crew, not killed in the initial blast, sounded the alarm as swiftly as possible, but for many it was too late. It's estimated that between 2,750 and 3,920 people died in the initial explosion or went down with the ship. Whoa. That is a, a gulf of 1,200 nearly yeah. that we're, we're just not sure about. Only 700 survivors were rescued by other vessels after floating at sea for hours, some clinging to the remaining floating pieces of the ship. Oof. When the ship settled, only the very top of the steam pipes were visible with all cabins and cargo submerged beneath the depths. To date, it's considered the second deadliest peacetime maritime disaster in history. Wow. Eight years later, the ship was recovered to dredge the mouth of the Wangpu River. The recovery took almost six months. Okay. So they raised it. Yeah. Now, there are no reports from this time regarding the return of victims' bodies to their families. Uh, there was no official count of casualties either noted during the retrieval process. Okay. So just dredging. Yeah. Yeah. Um, with no regard. Once removed from the ocean, the ship was rebuilt and refurbished what? and renamed the SS Dongfang Hong 8. From what? 1959 to 1983, the SS Dongfang Hong 8 served as a local ferry and cargo vessel between Shanghai and Wuhan. I don't think I would want to ride that. Well, a lot of people did. Hey, 4,000 people died on this ship when it sank. Uh, something that happened to the something ship you're to now the ship you're on. on. <laughs> Well, after being retired in 1983, the ship sat in port of Shanghai for many years until June of 2000, when a company purchased the vessel to harvest parts and materials. Mm -hmm. During this process, an oil fire broke out okay. and much of the remaining pieces of the ship were destroyed. That makes sense to me because the ship was haunted. Yeah, clearly. It did not want to be going. It, it didn't no. go without a fight. The ship had no business being on water. No. This was a f seabed ship. Yeah. Did you mean on land? I don't know what I. Oh, no, on I water. Meant no, no, yeah, I, I meant on water. Yeah, but the then ship on, wanted to, the ship wanted to be in water. I understand not what you're saying. Yeah, yeah, in, yeah. not on. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think maybe we even have like a monster house situation. <sighs> What's that? It's when it's like alive. It's alive. Yeah, it's a living ship because of Steve Buscemi's wife. Or a ghost ship situation. It might be a ghost. It might be a yeah. first four minutes of ghost ship situation. One of the only remaining pieces is the wooden steering wheel from the original SS Kyungya. It's currently on display in the East Zhejiang Maritime Affairs and Folk Customs Museum in Ningbo. All right. In the years following the war and the SS Qiangya disaster, the Japanese government provided the U.S. with descriptions of all mines used during the war and directions to detonate and defuse them. They left a note for on the, the fridge. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, that is for the best. As our underwater tracking and navigation systems have become more advanced, a number of these mines have been located and dealt with. 
compromise to a permanent end, you might say. <laughs> That's right. I might say that. It's estimated between the Allied forces, the German Navy, and the Imperial Japanese Navy, nearly 500,000 mines were laid between 1938 and 1945 along strategic trade and supply routes in the Pacific. My God. Yeah. A large number of these were triggered during the war, and a substantial amount have been diffused. However, it's impossible even now to guarantee that vessels are entirely safe from another accidental mine explosion. Never. Just don't go in the water. Don't travel by ship. What if you're like... All ship trade can't... What if, what if you're out at the lake? That's different. There were no mines in the lakes. <laughs> you can go on freshwater. You have a tube, you have a inner tube that has cooler in the middle? Yeah, most freshwater is fine, I think. If you if you want to get out on the lake, do some tubing, some, some wakeboarding. Maybe? Some yeah, sure. would be sure, good. Yeah, yeah. My dad likes those a lot. It's a dad drink. It's a dad drink. Is that the lemonade a, thing? Yeah. Yeah. Line and Google is... is uh, sure. Yeah, not yeah. a sponsor of the show, but if you're looking to, uh, my dad would really appreciate it. So your dad uh, drinks Wisconsin beer? He drinks Midwest beer? Well, he doesn't that's, really I don't drink know if that's something that he's going to be comfortable with you telling the audience. No, I think he's he's pretty he's pretty firm in his in his East Coaster identity. Doesn't sound like it. I'm tired. I'm tired of this. Kind of sounds like he's I'm tired drinking of this toxic geographic masculinity. <laughs> he likes Lineys, but he's a saltwater man. Isn't you're closer to a river than an ocean? Yeah, but we're going to the Jersey Shore. That's where Pop and Kugels. Right, but that's not where you live. Might as well. That's how much time I spent <laughs> in those waters. <laughs> come on. Come on. Come on. Up top. Give me some. That's right. <clears throat> further apart than it yeah. sounds like. Anyway, um, that's an awful tragedy. <laughs> uh, really, really, really horrible. Uh, I think one of multiple that we've covered uh, this season alone, which involve uh, many casualties being due to passengers being asleep in cabins or stuck in cabins. Um, so, I mean, we've said it before, but just get, I mean, this is, this was so fast. No one had the chance to do anything, but if you are, if, if someone tells you to stay in your cabin, get the hell out of your cabin. Yeah. That, that goes for cabins. That, that goes for like land cabins. Land cabins and, too. If someone yeah. says get out of the cabin. Um, unless there's a killer outside and you're like, I think I can make it to the cars. Even in that case, just take off sprinting. Okay. Just go. All right, I'll do that. Leave your family behind anyone. Just go. You don't need Just go. Take matters into your own hands. No, don't even, don't fight. Survive. leave. Yeah. Get a crowbar. They can't catch you. Anyway. (laughs) Wow, that's very honorable. Thank you. <laughs> the most honorable foghorn. <laughs> Much like the main subject of today's episode, our honorable mention centers around modern day ruin owing to the actions of the past. Oh. That's right. For the past 30 years, novelty Garfield phones have been washing up on the shores of Brittany, France, seemingly okay. with no explanation. <laughs> yeah, sure. Up and down the coastline. Okay. Decades. Um, thank you for uh, those of you that tweeted this at us. Um, it was a joy to see. Garfield is, of course, the sour puss whose love of lasagna and distaste for Mondays yep. and that scumbag, John Arbuckle, have kept him in newspapers for decades. Yeah, yeah. He's also responsible for a great deal of pollution off the coast of France. Yeah, personally. Personally, yes. Yeah. 
So plastics pose a great deal of harm. I know, sorry, we got to get real here for, real quick. Plastics pose a great deal of harm to the environment and particularly marine ecosystems. That's yeah. why they say when you throw out your Garfield phone, you should take a scissor to the cable so yep. it doesn't get wrapped a, around a dugong. Because turtles will eat the Garfield phone. Yeah, they, because they are natural yeah. predators of okay. lazy tabbies. Yes. Um, but yeah, they, they pose a lot of harm to ocean ecosystems, mm -hmm. which is why a French environmental group whose name I could not pronounce, so I did Great. not put it in the script, Perfect. has been working to solve the riddle posed by the famously lazy Garfield, that awful cat. They have to clean up after this lazy asshole. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. Can you believe and, that? And you got, and it's the French, a famously lazy people. <laughs> Do you think they like Garfield? They must. Uh, yeah. Why not? I hate uh, Mondays. I do I, not like it. I do love a lasagna. I do love a lasagna. Listen, also, for anyone out there that's like, oh, Gar why is Garfield hate Mondays? He doesn't even have a job. Listen, it's not, it's, it's, he gets to hate Mondays. That's fine. I get it. He might be I, trying I to go somewhere at like being getting stuck in rush hour traffic because yeah. everyone else has to work. Oh, he's behind a school bus, maybe? Yeah, something like that. The yeah. worst. There's a lot of reasons. There's a lot of reasons to not like Mondays. Yeah, and far be it from me to judge this cat. You know, this cat, man. Cat. <laughs> this cool cat. <laughs> this cool cat who hates Mondays, man. Nothing more freestyle jazz than hating a day of the week. Yep. So, yeah, it's 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 pretty funny in concept. Um, and it was funny when I was writing this, but then I did see a video of the beaches, and it is, it sucks. It's just it's like. that it's many? Just, yeah, there was like a, an entire pile of just like seaweed, <laughs> trash, and phone cables and receivers just like in the like the you know the mouthpiece, the actual phone part, yeah. just piled up on the rocks. That's like, so it's, weird. and it's pretty rocky, so yeah. I don't think it's like a, yeah, yeah. It, I don't think it's like a place <laughs> where people are gonna be like sunning, but there's right. just trash everywhere, everywhere, and it's so ugly to look at. It just must just be in like the like some like current that I'm gonna tell takes you. up trash. Okay, yeah, oh, okay. The answer. That's, that's, that's right. Yeah. yeah, and it's 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 interesting. Okay. Uh, after years of speculation and beach cleanups, remember this is 30 years of Garfield phones. Yeah. The mystery was solved in 2019, thanks to local farmer Rene Morvan. Okay. Apparently, when the phones and phone parts began washing up on the beach in the 80s, he and his brother decided they would just figure it out. Oh, that's awesome. They were like, let's yeah. find out the realities of Garfield. That's, Katia, that's cool guy and his brother stuff. Well, it gets even, Getting obsessed with uh, a really weird <laughs> local. Let's yeah. figure this out. Yeah. It also sounds like a Greek uh, punishment, like after death. That you must Just search. forced to constantly clean up a never-ending supply of Garfield phones. <laughs> Each well, day the beach is filled anew with uh, lazy cats. <laughs> it's, it's yeah, it's a very Sisyph Sisyphean yeah, yeah. Uh, sort of torture. Yeah, um, probably because somebody like uh, you know divorced their wife in 200 BC or something. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't, you know, I'm not for really way Sisyphean. further back than that. Yeah, yeah, you know, way further back, yeah. two, 250, 4,000 maybe. What? Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. Um, it's not torture for this guy and his brother though, uh, because they didn't no. have to clean them up. Right. Um. And most interestingly, they did find it. Yeah, back then, okay. which it must have been in the, in the 80s? late '80s, early '90s. Uh, they just kind of combed the beaches and investigated areas in this, you know, rocky coastline where they suspected <laughs> that, that areas that they thought could hold the source. Yeah, yeah of yeah. all Garfields. Yeah, they eventually did come across a sea cave 
deep inside which rested a metal shipping container filled with Garfield phones. Yeah, okay. And what do you think they did did next? They told nobody. Perfect. Why would you? You figured it out. It's like a Goonies scenario, it's I guess. Goonies, yeah. Did they think they were Hey, gonna... you gals. Why didn't Why didn't they tell anyone? Well, I don't know. And they just you didn't. think well, they just chose not. They, they were just, just like, chose to oh, sit We have figured it out. Well, uh, back to farming. We could tell someone, but I haven't had a cigarette in a minute. <laughs> but just the cigarette. Just and then the cigarette is so good. It's, you know, a mouse cookie situation. That they they f- forget all about I the Garfield phone. I have a cigarette and now I need a glass of wine. And that's it. That's yeah, the rest of the yeah. day. And, 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 you know, okay, so these two just doofy French brothers found it. Why yeah. could no one else? Well... Most of the year, the cave and likewise the container are inaccessible because of the tide. Right, yeah. (laughs) You just can't get to it. Okay. So that's why no one else happened upon this giant shipping container. Now, why they chose not to tell anyone, I do not know. They could have saved the local community 30 years of head scratching uh, and not to mention the local flora and fauna. Uh-huh. Like, yeah. how much effort, time, and money has gone into cleaning up... A never-ending supply of a, Garfield phones? A never-ending supply of Garfield phones. Yeah. That's Th- worse than a Monday. And think of all the money they could have made selling those Garfield phones. Yeah, I mean... Had they just taken them just, out. you know, rinse them off. Yeah. They don't work, but who uses a landline? You get it to work again. You, you I'm sure so? you could. Yeah, sell, or sell them at, like, a vintage store for some wildly marked-up price. Well, it seems like the entire Garfield's community... Garfield's cool now. Yeah, well, the entire community had access... Two Garfield phones. They just had to take a the walk and could come do back. With. Like, yeah, yeah. like their catch of lobster. They would yeah. put out a crate yeah, yeah. and bring back eight cat phones. <laughs> uh, anyway, um, the environmental group and its president were like, you know, putting out fears. They're like, where are these coming from? You know, 30 years later. And the farmer's like, oh, I know. Yeah, it's where it the is. shipping container in the cave. Yeah, basically. That's what he said. You haven't figured and that so, out? Like, Either sit on it until you're dead, yeah. or tell people when you find it, I think. Yeah, but after to 30, wait, 30 years, 30 he's years like, oh, oh yeah. you wanted to know? Nobody asked me. Yeah, yeah. I, I was farming. Yeah, no, I've known. I was making legumes. I was clawing yeah. peanuts. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he took them to the cave. And sure enough, <laughs> yeah. there it was. So the rocks leading to the cave were littered with bits of Garfield in every direction. Like, like as you get heads, closer, the piles bones, of Garfield cords. stuff gets Actually, higher and yeah, higher. Actually, yeah, there's yeah, just yeah. tons of it. It's yeah. like just debris of Garfield. <laughs> and so um, they're expecting a container that is filled with novelty phones, right? Yeah. However, they are disappointed to find an empty and degraded metal box. No phones. Because uh, the phones had floated it. out over yeah. 30 years. All yeah, the damage yeah. had been done. Uh, the group's president, um, who has a flair for the dramatic, said, the bulk of the phones are already gone. The sea has done its job for 30 years. We arrive after the battle. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> All right. Yeah. So um, that's what's happening in France four years ago. <laughs> like, that <it> just <laughs> yeah. happened. And I was like, wait, 30 years ago. Yeah. So tune in next week when we surely cover an Italian beach beset by OD alarm clocks. We'll see. Hopefully. <laughs> I hate that dog. Yeah, he's the worst. I hate that he dog. Sucks. I'm Patrick. I'm Charlotte. The show's edited by Kelly Reynolds. It's yep. written by Paige Wesley with yep. art by Stevie Jude. Yep. And I am hoping yep. that your gar- may your Garfield phones bleach in these sands. Yes. Amen. God bless us. Bye. Bye.